2: It's Thursday, March 31st. I'm Gideon Resnick.
0: And I'm Priyanka Arabindi. And this is What A Day, reminding you to not do cocaine around Madison Cawthorn, unless you want him to tell on you.
2: Yes, uh, Cawthorn recently told a podcast about the cocaine and orgies that his 70-year-old colleagues in D.C. are apparently obsessed with. And if you're not careful, you could be his next target.
0: Yeah, do not do anything illegal or cool while Madison is nearby.
2: On today's show, what to know about the Omicron sub-variant BA-2, plus Russian troops have started to move away from two Ukrainian cities.
0: But first, there is news on a story we covered earlier this week, Title 42. This is a Trump-era health policy that allowed immigration officials to immediately turn away migrants at our border because of the pandemic. However, the Biden administration had been clinging on to it. Gideon, what happened yesterday with this?
2: Some pretty big news yesterday. The Biden administration will reportedly end its use of the policy by late May, the 23rd to be exact. Uh, the decision is not final, final yet, but the Wall Street Journal reported that the CDC plans to issue an order later this week that is going to formalize it. So what we know now is all based on unnamed officials and a draft that certain publications like the journal have seen. So- The delay in the full implementation here is apparently so that the Department of Homeland Security can prepare for the possibility of more migrants arriving.
0: So this news is a major win for immigration activists who saw Title 42 being used in ways that many called cruel.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The policy effectively acted as a suspension of the legal asylum process. And it has been viewed, like you said, as inhumane by a lot of people and frankly nonsensical by others, including public health officials who have often said that it wouldn't serve its stated purpose of preserving public health during the pandemic. It's been proven difficult that you can't build a border that keeps out a virus.
0: Not how it works.
2: Yeah. Uh, According to the Washington Post, the majority of all of these kinds of expulsions where people are rapidly sent back to their home countries have actually taken place under the Biden administration. A disproportionate number, according to Human Rights Watch, have been Black, Indigenous or Latino. And there have been thousands of documented reports of the violence they face after being expelled.
0: Right. Really bad stuff. We will certainly be following this as it progresses in the next few days and weeks. And on the same note, the Biden administration said that it's beginning to vaccinate migrants who claim asylum at the southern border. Biden also urged more COVID aid from Congress on Wednesday. Here is a little bit of what he said. If Congress fails to act, we won't have the supply we need this fall to ensure the shots are available free, easily accessible for all Americans. Even worse, If we need a different vaccine for the
2: future to combat a new variant, we're not going to have enough money to purchase it. We cannot allow that to happen. Oof,
0: yikes. Gideon, what else did he have to say?
2: Really that we need more money. (laughs) Uh, Biden said the shortfall also affects testing and therapeutics. Right at this moment where mitigation restrictions have basically been lifted everywhere in the country, Uh, free testing is gone for many Americans without health insurance now. And many states are beginning to close these mass vaccination and testing sites that were pretty vital throughout the pandemic. Additionally, some states like Arizona, Hawaii, Ohio, and Nevada have reportedly stopped releasing daily metrics like case counts and hospitalizations. So definitely a strange moment that we're in.
0: Right. And I mean, like all of these could be good signs if, you know, we weren't currently dealing with this BA2 Omicron subvariant that is right. now the dominant strain of COVID in this country, clearly not going away. For more perspective on this, we spoke earlier to infectious disease specialist and epidemiologist Dr. Celine Gounder. She is also a senior fellow and editor-at-large for public health at the Kaiser Family Foundation and Kaiser Health News. We started by asking her what we know about the difference between BA2 versus the original Omicron variant
3: what we know so far is it is indeed more transmissible it is more contagious and spreads more easily from person to person we can certainly expect more people to get infected especially as people are lowering their guard um secondly is it virulent and what we are seeing with BA.2 is it's uh, similarly virulent similarly disease causing as the original omicron and then finally is it immunevading and so BA.2, depending on the population and how much of the original Omicron they experienced, may or may not lead to a big surge.
2: Yeah, and that's a really interesting point that I, I was actually about to ask, because both of us had previously had Omicron. A lot of people we know had previously had it, or what we believe to be Omicron. Obviously, we don't get any sort of uh, explicit results saying so. So like, given all of that, how should people in the U.S., be kind of assessing BA2 on a day-to-day basis right now?
3: If you got infected in December, January, or sometime after that, it probably was Omicron. And that immunity you would get from Omicron, that boost in immunity, again, probably gives you uh, three to four months of protection against infection. But really importantly also, if you are not yet vaccinated, that also makes a big difference in terms of whether you're susceptible here. And the populations that me and other doctors and public health experts are concerned about are older people, people with immunocompromising conditions or other underlying medical conditions who are not yet vaccinated and boosted. These are the people for whom a BA.2 surge could be really deadly.
2: Right.
0: Right. So I'm curious about the points of comparison. Are the ones in Europe salient at all? Should we be making that comparison?
3: Well, we can usually look to Europe and get a forecast of what may happen here in the U.S. in about three to four weeks, but there are some differences with respect to the types of vaccines that they've used. They have used a little bit more AstraZeneca, and that vaccine is not as robust. The other thing that we're seeing is differences in vaccination rates. The Europeans are more highly vaccinated than we are. And if you look at the U.K., for example, their elderly are better vaccinated and boosted than ours. And so in the UK, they are seeing an increase in hospitalizations and deaths despite really good vaccination rates. And so I think that is something that has many of us concerned.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point to make about the differences in vaccination rates. So uh, to that point, the FDA recently authorized an additional booster for certain populations, 50 and older, some immunocompromised people. What did you make of that? Did that make sense in the way that it was applied?
3: Well, certainly people over 65, people with immunocompromising conditions, these are the people who are at highest risk for severe complications from COVID. It's not like there's a huge jump in risk once you turn 65, though it's an incremental increase with age. And I think what is concerning, though, is one, we do not have enough vaccine supply to vaccinate everyone over the age of 65 with an additional booster dose, uh, much less everybody over the age of 50, that would require additional funding from Congress to purchase additional doses. At the same time, on April 5th, PERSA, the Health Resources and Services Administration, so this is part of HHS, their uninsured program will be expiring in terms of covering provider fees for administering vaccines. So if you're uninsured, and you want to get vaccinated, you're not going to be able to go to your local retail pharmacy or other popular sites to get vaccinated. It could even be, you know, local doctor's office. You're going to have to go to very specific sites where they're willing to eat the cost of administering that vaccine to you. So I think there's a lot of reasons, you know, expanding eligibility for boosters may have a limited real world public health impact.
2: So something else that you brought up, President Biden has been urging more COVID aid. What would be sort of the ideal framework for the next package?
3: Well, you know, I think what you are seeing is right now the administration is focusing on pharmaceutical products. So tests, drugs, medications, and vaccines. The problem is those products then have to be distributed, right? Right so that means who's going to pay for the provider costs of giving you a test and making a diagnosis or prescribing that Paxlovid or giving you that shot and the healthcare system in the U.S. is very much rigged in favor of people who have better insurance, who are higher income. So if you're going to be distributing these products through our routine healthcare system, you are going to see widening health disparities. The other issue is the U.S. is a highly individualistic country. And to ask people to continue taking individual action to protect themselves and others is just, I think people have lost patience with that. And so are there measures that would not require individuals to take action, but that would more equitably protect everyone? So what am I talking about here? These would be things like improving indoor ventilation and air filtration that could have a significant impact. Another example would be paid sick and family medical leave. We have seen over and over again, lower income people, communities of color, are stuck having to go to work even if they're sick. They send their kids to school even if they're sick because they can't afford a day off work. They can't afford childcare. And that then leads to more transmission in their communities and and more risk for themselves and their communities.
2: That was our conversation with Dr. Celine Gounder. We are unfortunately probably gonna have to talk about all of this in the coming days, but that is the latest for now. Let's get to some headlines.
1: Headlines.
2: Here's a roundup of some of the latest from Ukraine. Russian forces are finally moving away from the cities of Kyiv and Chernihiv, according to Ukrainian officials on Wednesday. The night before, Russia continued to launch strikes despite its diplomats promising during peace talks that the country would, quote, drastically reduce such attacks. So, this subsequent troop movement has Ukrainians breathing a bit of a sigh of relief after being skeptical that Russia would follow through on that pledge. Meanwhile, declassified U.S. intelligence suggests that Russian officials are misleading Vladimir Putin about their country's poor military performance out of fear for how he might react.
0: Not good.
2: No. Uh, Here is U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken speaking to that point yesterday.
0: One of the Achilles heels of autocracies is that you don't have people in those systems who speak truth to power or who have the ability to speak truth to power. Uh, And I think uh, that is something that we're seeing in Russia.
2: Yeah. And as for the U.S., President Biden announced yesterday that he is going to give Ukraine an additional half billion dollars in aid, which Ukraine could use for military purposes, humanitarian aid and more. And at last count, the U.N. says more than four million people have fled the country.
0: Three states saw movements on the issue of reproductive choice this week, getting the absolutely terrible one out of the way first. In Arizona, Ugh. Republican Governor Doug Ducey signed a bill yesterday that will outlaw abortion after 15 weeks. That law is modeled on a Mississippi law that SCOTUS is currently reviewing, and there's another ban just like it awaiting Ron DeSantis' signature in Florida. In Idaho, Planned Parenthood filed a petition with the state Supreme Court to block the state's ban on abortions after six weeks, which is set to take effect next month. Planned Parenthood's interim CEO said of the lawmakers who passed the bill, quote, "...these politicians sold their soul to an extremist minority. I want to be clear, we will not allow them to take away our control over our own bodies." And in Maryland, Democrats in the state legislature are working to expand abortion access. They passed a bill on Tuesday that would allow trained health providers who are not physicians to perform abortions following the lead of 14 other states. The Maryland bill would also forbid insurers from charging abortion recipients out-of-pocket costs. The state's governor, Larry Hogan, is a Republican and he could veto the bill, but it was passed with a veto-proof majority along party lines.
2: Getcha now, Hogan. Maybe that's something somebody said when it passed. Probably not. Um, If you're wondering what will happen on the season finale of the beloved episodic drama, The Supreme Court, this headline contains a spoiler skip ahead. (laughs) Yesterday, Republican Senator Susan Collins of Maine said that she plans to vote to confirm Joe Biden's nominee, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. So with Collins' support and presumably all the Democratic senators on board, potential holdout Joe Manchin signaled his support earlier this week, Judge Jackson is virtually guaranteed to become the first ever black woman to serve as a Supreme Court justice. Collins is the first Republican senator to come forward with her support. It's unclear, shall we say, if others will (laughs) join her in this decision. But this does mean that Judge Jackson will technically be confirmed with bipartisan support. So after meeting with Judge Jackson privately twice... Once before and once after last week's highly contentious Senate Judiciary Committee hearings, Collins said, quote, There can be no question that she is qualified to be a Supreme Court justice. Collins joins the two thirds of all Americans who share that belief, according to new polling that was out yesterday from Marquette Law School. Democrats are pushing for a final vote on Judge Jackson's nomination ahead of Easter on April 17th. We look forward to celebrating the good news with you all soon. And if there is not good news, I never said that. I never said
0: it. You know, we hardly ever get nice things, I will say, just this once. It could be cool. I would like to have this. This is amazing. I would love this. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. Knock on anything right now. Everybody (laughs) listening
2: to this. Anything in front of you, please. Knock it. In
0: taking on its rival social media app, TikTok, Facebook parent company Meta has been using a time-honored strategy. If you can't beat them, smear them by teaming up with the worst people on (laughs) earth. Oh, no. New reporting from The Washington Post revealed yesterday that Meta has been paying one of the country's biggest Republican consulting firms to help bolster anti-TikTok sentiment. Oof. That firm is called Targeted Victory, and it pulled in over $200 million from Republican-aligned PACs in 2020. Its methods in the campaign against TikTok have included helping to place op-eds in key congressional districts and seeding negative press about the app in local media. Like a report that aired on a local Hawaiian news affiliate warning of a, quote, slap a teacher TikTok challenge, which simply never existed. Like, you know, many of the things these people are finding, supposedly. As one of the firm's own directors wrote in a leaked email, the company's goal has been to, quote, get the message out that while Meta is the current punching bag, TikTok is the real threat. (laughs) Current punching bag, by the way, is another way of saying company that designs websites to make us hate each other and ourselves. Meta tends to spend big on lobbying, dropping a full $20 million in 2021. Yesterday's report from the Washington Post comes at a time when the company is losing or has lost many of its young users.
2: Listen. I'm sure there will come a day where TikTok is the more evil of two apps that we're talking about. But at this Not current moment, we know what we're dealing with with uh, Facebook. You know, we're aware and meta for that matter. And everything that meta does, it's bad. Just one man's opinion. It's bad.
0: Sorry, we stay on TikTok, the little Duolingo owl, my favorite guy.
2: Yes, it's fun. And at some point it will be bad. But until but then... Until
0: then- No, we love it. It's harmless. It's good
2: fun. Please don't show me any negative headlines about TikTok. And
0: please don't tweet me about how it's not harmless. I don't want to see it.
2: Yeah. Uh, And those are the headlines. We'll be back after some ads with a chat about midterm madness with Vote Save America.
0: It is Thursday, Wild Squad, and we wanted to do something of a temp check about this year's midterm elections. Um, If you forgot, they are still happening amid all the craziness of our world. And there happens to be a lot at stake. So we really wanted to start a drumbeat about how you need to be paying attention now. And we'll be doing a series of conversations in the coming months that cover everything from how to vote, how to decide who to vote for, upcoming local races, cool positions that you might know about, cool candidates. Um, you know, and how we can make our voices heard by voting and more.
2: And where you can do cocaine with Madison Cawthorne. You got
0: to stay tuned.
2: Yeah, you do. You do. Uh, You had the opportunity to talk to a legendary fellow member of the Crooked multiverse. Tell us about it.
0: Yeah. So to learn more about what's at stake this year, I sat down with Shaniqua McClendon. She is Crooked's senior director of politics. She's also organizing Vote Save America's 2022 electoral engagement campaign. It's called Gideon You and all the other sports people are going to love this (laughs) midterm madness.
2: I get it. I get what you're saying.
0: Got their finger on the pulse over there. (laughs) I started by asking a little bit of a different question. I feel like a bunch of us, you know, me included, been through a lot over the past few years. There was the 2020 election. There's been this whole pandemic. There's a lot happening. And a lot of people are kind of burnt out on news, politics, the like. I started by asking her what advice she has for people who are feeling that way and, you know, how to combat that.
5: First, everyone should know they are not alone. Um, The team behind Vote Save America, we love the work we do, but we are exhausted as well. And so I think what I would say to people is focus on what you can control, um, but also take breaks. And for a lot of people, since Trump was elected in 2016, the thought of getting rid of him motivated and energized a lot of people to get involved. And I don't mean to use, you know, negative incentives. but If Trump being gone motivated you before, like we still have a lot of bad people in government that we need to get out of government. We have like a lot more house to clean. Thinking about Mitch McConnell, thinking about people like Lindsey Graham, um, or even the prospect of Trump running again for president in 2024, we're going to have to put in the work. And it's not always going to be easy. But knowing that there's a better option than what we have now, hopefully, is a form of energy to get people going again.
0: So let's talk about the stakes in these upcoming midterm elections. Obviously, Mm -hmm. there are elections at every level, but Mm -hmm. the ones that people are most familiar with are probably the ones in the House and the Senate. Yeah. What is at stake in those chambers? everything.
5: Uh, (laughs) But if I had to like narrow it down in the Senate, we need to maintain just the majority. I mean, the only reason we have the majority is because Joe Biden is in the White House and Kamala Harris is, is the tiebreaker. But we need to at least maintain that because that means Chuck Schumer gets to decide what bills we vote on. And even though we've struggled to get some passed, we still get to decide what gets a vote. And even if you know, a bunch of Republicans don't vote for it. We at least have them on the record for not voting for things. Right. And then the Supreme Court. So right now we're watching Judge uh, Jackson's confirmation process happen. If we lose seats, that means Mitch McConnell can tell Joe Biden. I would like to think he would say, no, I don't want that candidate to send another one, but we know what he'll do. Right. He will literally hold the seat open, any additional seats that come open, he will hold them open until a Republican is elected president.
0: There are a bunch of state and local races happening all over the place. Can you talk a little bit about why it's so important to pay attention to those elections? And are there any positions that you think of that, like, end up having a bunch of power in these places that people just kind of overlook?
5: First off, our state legislatures, a lot of people were focused on those more than they usually are in 2020 because redistricting was coming. But now if we look at some of the decisions like Roe v. Wade that are going to be put before the Supreme Court, if Roe is struck down, it's going to come down to states and state legislatures to either protect or weaken um, protections for access to abortion care. So state legislatures are really important. And a lot of people actually drop off um, when they're filling out their ballot because they don't know who these folks are. Right, That happened in Arizona. A lot of legislative um, candidates lost, even though Joe Biden won, because people just stopped going down the ballot. That's a lot of power that most people are not paying attention to.
0: Votes in America, obviously very instrumental in getting people involved in the last two election cycles and, you know, beating those feelings of feeling a little bit overwhelmed and burnt out your program this year is called Midterm Madness. It's very well-timed. But can you walk us through what this is and how we can get involved?
5: Midterm Madness is our 2022 midterm um, electoral engagement program. And we're splitting the country into four regions. For instance, if you are in the Western region, you have a state like Arizona that has statewide opportunities, secretary of state, governor, and a Senate race, state legislative opportunities. In a place like Arizona, if you go into a blue city that has a mayor, or city council race and really get people excited about those local candidates, that might increase their turnout in that part of the state. Uh, and, you know, help a Democrat win that may have won otherwise, but it also will increase overall turnout in the state, which is useful for statewide candidates who maybe are not having as much success in rural areas. But if you can, you know, overcompensate for that in in more progressive areas, that helps them uh, win statewide as well. So. Oh
0: yeah. That's like such an interesting way to look at it of like lifting kind of everybody. And one last question for you. So what is the best way to pick a region here? Like are you trying to do it on strategy? Is this just like where you live, like where you're from? What do you suggest to the people yeah. who look at the map and are like, where do I pick?
5: Where do you go? I would say it should be based on where either you live or you're from. Basically wherever you can get involved the most. Um, if things stay safe with COVID, we will be asking people to show up in Canvas in person um, and volunteer in person. So Picking a place where you can do that is really important, but we'll take your help anywhere.
0: Got it. Okay. If we want to sign up for Midterm Madness, where should we go?
5: Go to votesaveamerica.com slash Midterm Madness. Pop your email in and we'll be in contact with what you can do.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That was my conversation with Shaniqua McClendon, Crooked Senior Director of Politics. We will be keeping up with her and Vote Save America throughout the year, and we'll also be linking to Midterm Madness in our show notes. So go ahead, sign up, pick your region, do all the things. You can join me on the West team. Gideon, where will you be?
2: Cawthorn team. I don't know. I'll look later. Okay. In the meantime, we'd love to answer your questions about midterms. If there is a topic that you want to know more about or a question that you'd like us to ask an expert about voting, elections, everything in between, you can tweet at us at pre arabi That's P-R-I-A-R-I-B-I and at Gideon Resnick. I think you can figure out how to spell it somehow. Um, Hit us with your best questions and we will try to get them answered.
0: One more thing before we go, we will be out tomorrow because we are celebrating Cesar Chavez Day, which is today. Today is also the International Transgender Day of Visibility. So if you want to support and stand with the trans community today, we've left some links in our show notes to help you direct your efforts. We will be back with a new episode for you on Monday.
2: That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review. Don't invite Madison Cawthorn to the function and tell your friends to listen.
0: (laughs) And if you're into reading and not just TikTok oppo research on Meta by Facebook like me, oh my God, what a day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Priyanka Arabindi.
2: I'm Gideon Resnick. And And check check out out the the rest of the the Crooked crooked multiverse. Multiverse. You know, that implies that we are also different iterations of ourselves throughout a multiverse, which is also kind of an interesting thing to think about.
0: I mean, as long as we're your favorites in the multiverse, I'm cool with you checking out, you know, what else we got going on. But just remember where this started, everybody.
2: You can check it out to validate that we're the best ones.
0: So we're your favorites.
2: Yeah.